Welcome to Farming Eternal, an eternal podcast for farmers hosted by me, Patrick Apatomaro, and Hats on Lamps. It's episode 107. For those of you tuning in for the first time, we are a draft-focused podcast. Our goal is to help you and me, mostly me, get better at draft. We get into the nitty-gritty of the drafting process with a little meta-analysis and play tips thrown in. So this week, I'm very excited to announce we have another special guest, and he is here to talk about what uh, he calls the D-Dub method, how to get top four at the draft open in two weeks or less. So we're very excited to have him break down his method to do this in this episode. So uh, thank you for coming on, D-Dub. Yeah, thanks for having me, Padamara. Yeah, we are very excited. I would say if podcasts had like a trending topics sidebar, your name would be way up there this week because everyone's talking about <laughs> D-Dub's patented yeah, draft open preparation method. Yeah, that's right. It came up on the misplay and the backlash this week too, huh? It did. It did. So so we thought we would have the real live D-Dub in the flesh here on the show to explain what has everyone so excited. So you, are you ready? Ready as I'll ever be. <laughs> Good to hear. But before we get to that, everyone's going to have to listen to our usual pre-main topic stuff. So first off, oh, this is actually, this leads right into it. Because uh, as you heard last week, we had two new patrons. Turns out one of those patrons was D-Dub, the man himself, who uh, explained to me that he had signed up in the Patreon, edited it in the show notes all by himself. So we're very excited. So thank you, D-Dub, for joining the patron. Really appreciate it. Um, yeah, you guys. Oh, please. <laughs> oh, no, I don't need to say anything there. No, you don't you know, compliment, compliment away. It's great. <laughs> yeah, you guys put out great content, and I just want to keep supporting um, content creators for Eternal. I agree. It's, uh, it's, we're a small community, but I think we got a lot of great people on both ends, the content creation side and the just Eternal players in general. So it's fun. So as always, thank you to... Uh, D-Dub, John, Demo, Steve Irwin, Cotillion, Low-Key Trickster, Mercurio Blue, Abnego, Meagles, Madness, Darth Herman 2, Twin Hex, Jed the Hamrid, Raven Dragon, Esrid 0215, Sunblaze, Work Done Sun, and Yes Stout. Thank you for supporting the show each and every week. And for those of you who don't but want to, you can check our Patreon out at patreon.com slash farmingeternal. So, uh, how was your draft week this week? Post- uh, Post high. It's been a bit rough since the draft opened. I think in the four drafts I've played since then, I think I went one three o three one three before. Eventually, I had a fun uh, deck that went six and three, and that last one was kind of going back to my roots and trying to smash face with fire. Fire, fire! You say? I do like aggro decks. Yes. Yeah, a uh, fun bit of trivia. Uh, D-Dubs uh, plays the lead, has the, <laughs> of all our seven win contributors, uh, is this, plays the second least amount of power of everyone who contributes decks to the, to the list. And uh, in other words, is one of the more aggressive contributors who has uh, 10 or more lists submitted. So, uh, so it's, uh, I think that's kind of interesting because, uh 
you know, we're getting a little bit ahead, but I think that's one of the things where you differed from a lot of the other teams and people preparing for the draft open is, um, you know, a lot, a lot of people who just prepared solely for the open and didn't draft beforehand, I think we're very high on time and primal while, and I think part of that is maybe they didn't experience the first couple months of this format when fire was so dominant. Um, so it's, it's interesting to me that you kind of kept that, sort of that that feeling going into the open yeah well i mean everyone talks about how this was a bad format to try to block in so just by playing fire you'd naturally take advantage of that yes so. yeah i agree um yeah i've kind of i'm in a similar boat to to your uh, rough week here i uh <clears throat> i for the first time ever uh, conceded a draft before getting my three losses. Um, I went 0-2 with the deck, and I was like, and I was playing early in the morning, and I was like, I cannot handle another five or six minute queue to immediately <laughs> to lose with this deck in two minutes. So, so I was like, I'm I'm sorry, I hate to do it. I really try not to do it, but I did it. I I uh. I I conceded the draft, but then I followed it up. I followed it up with a purpose deck. It was like a film deck splashing mm -hmm. justice and just had some incredible games. And then I had another 0-3. Then I had another 7-2 with a Praxis deck. And I am currently 0-2 again. <laughs> <laughs> so, so we're kind of going really back and forth here on my draft week. Um, but I think the format's feeling really good. It feels like anything is pretty viable, which is a thing I've been sort of harping on. It seems like this is one of the most balanced formats um, that Eternals ever had. So, it, and my losses have felt like I've definitely, I've had, I think I've been on the bad end of variance for a few of my losses. So I don't know. I, I don't think anything's changed per se and you know, I'll figure it out again. Cool. So then how about let's go to uh, card of the week. What's your card of the week this week? So my card of the week this week is the Bloodspear Foot Soldier. So this is a 3-1 with Valor 2 drop in fire. And it's nothing too sexy, nothing too exciting, but I just, it's always kind of impressed me. It can attack into pretty much anything if it has to play defense it trades with the ursa squadron it trades with pretty much every three drop stealth unit whether you're attacking or defending because it i just found that these three ones in this form three one two drops in this format are actually pretty good i mean there's a lot of pings that you have to worry about but a ping on your two drop is not a ping on your stealth unit so right um that's cool so do you yeah it is kind of funny that like such a, an aggressive card of 3-1 with valor ends up being a surprisingly good blocker in this format because of all yeah. of these 2-2 two, two valors do you think this love of three ones does this go as far as 
being okay with playing a few pyro depths in your deck. Yeah, and that's and that's something that we came around to as well. That the only reason I didn't choose pyro depth is because the foot soldier was from Revelations. But I've played pyro depths for this exact same reason. They trade with the Valor units. They trade with the stealth units. I think three ones. I think in this meta are just a little bit better than we used to consider them. Yeah, no, I I definitely agree uh, with that. It's yeah, it is always interesting because I feel like the valor on Blood Spear Foot Soldier actually ends up not doing that much since anything can tr trade with it. I mean, the nice thing is a four four can't block it, so it'll, uh, some of these like five drops can't block and eat it. So yeah, it just has a lot of flexibility and when you're just trying to hit and you know unlike the tutus it, it, every yeah everything trades for it more or less but i i think when you're just trying to be aggressive that's not as much of a downside yeah all right so then the uh my card of the week was actually inspired like you said uh you were mentioned on the backlash podcast and that is skullbreaker which is the uh Two-cost Stone Scar card, and it is a 3-2 Overwhelm and Deadly on your turn. This is a card that um, they uh, Notorious GHP had mentioned wasn't really on his radar as a good card, but then you guys uh, maybe swapped uh, Top Commons list, and you had it way up there, and he was very surprised that you would have a two-color aggressive card in what he considered the two worst colors as a top common. So what are some of the things you like about Skullbreaker? Yeah, so I think that was just kind of uh, something was lost in communication when GHP and I were talking about our top 10 lists. So I still like Skullbreaker, but I don't think I have it as my top 10 common personally. I think that's part of one of the way that we prep and just lead the discussion. And we'll talk about that later on in the episode. But I still like Skullbreaker. I like having two drops. I like it gets in there. You throw Iona Fury on it, and it's just even bigger. I remember early on in the format, um, before they started doing some of those balance changes, like the question was, how many Skullbreakers is too many in a deck? And I don't think that we ever really settled on an answer. Um, it no, just keeps getting I'm, in there. Yeah, I think even now there's probably it's I yeah I don't think there is too, too many skull breakers because it just attacks through everything and with Iona's fury it's just so powerful. You, you eat the thing, still do a ton of damage. Because um, for those of you who don't know how. Uh, deadly quick draw and overwhelm uh <laughs> work together so you deal one damage so it it dies with just one damage so all the extra damage overwhelms to the face and then because you have quick draw the one damage kills it so no matter what your no matter what size it is it's going to die before your guy dies so your guy doesn't yeah. die <laughs> I think I may have come down on Skullbreaker heading into the open just because it felt like Shadow, the draft packs. I think some of the weighting was changed. 
And I just, mm-hmm. when I looked at what was boosted in the shadow draft packs, I was like, I don't want to have to be filling out my deck from these. Yes. I, I agree to a certain extent. I do think it still has, I've still been being able to pick up some like executes and some bars favors. And the problem is like, you know, one of its better cards, like Amethyst Acolyte is just probably not as good in an aggressive deck. Um, so I, I agree that it can be a little tough. Um, so you're getting a lot of your power in Stone Scar from the Revelations pack. But okay, so you're, you're saying it's not a top 10, but it's still, still like it in its deck. Yeah, yeah. Which I think is true. I think it's an undeniably powerful card. Uh, you know, I guess the question is, like, how early are you supposed to pick it and go for that deck? And that probably has lowered. I know, like, early on in the format, people were just, like, second or third pick. Be like, oh, well, I'll just take a Skullbreaker. Skull it's yeah. just so powerful. And, uh, yeah. yeah. So I think that's harder. Um, all right. So on to our seven-win run breakdown. And this is our long-standing data collection project here at Farming Eternal. So... This is where our listeners can um, send in their seven win drafts, either to our Discord in the seven win channel or to farmingeternal at gmail.com. And then we collect them, put them in a spreadsheet. We also do a little bit of data analysis on it so that you can see like what are the top commons, sort of how the factions are performing. Um, Alabazoo has been really helping out with that. It's been a lot of fun. Um, and then you get a shout out on the show. We don't need to do that this week because we we're actually doubling up on recording. So everything that I know about the format, I already explained in this last episode in 106 with Frafa. Um, but we wanted to sneak in D-dubs, you know, being so famous, he, he's kind of hard to pin down. So we had, to, we had to record this episode when we got the chance. So uh, thank you to D-dubs. Uh, so, yeah. So... And then the only other thing I could think of to mention in this, uh, this section is like, for example, if any listeners who submit lists or say on a team and some of those team members sometimes draft and get seven wins, but don't send them in, uh, I think that's a really great opportunity to get other people to submit lists. And then as always, thank you to John Holio. All right. So. On to our main topic. So first off, uh, D-Dubs, congratulations on your top four at the draft open. That's very exciting. Is that your best finish at uh, an Eternal tournament? I have top fours in the past as well. There's an Expedition BCQ in 2020. Oh, cool. But nothing nothing this year. So you, you don't quite have your, your sneaky double top four qualification yet. Not yet, but I'm halfway there. Yeah, that's very exciting. So uh, do you want to tell everyone uh, a little bit about yourself if they don't know you? Yeah, so I've been playing Internal since like early 2019. This was around the middle of set five for Defiance, um, coming over from Hearthstone. I had uh, been playing pretty casually, um, just playing on my phone, on commute to from work. And eventually I joined the Friends of Eternal Discord when I wanted to start taking things a little bit more seriously when the 2020 uh, organized play season was starting. What set, how long did you just play casually before 
about what set i i think of everything in terms of sets as compared to time so right when expedition i think was started when i forget what set that was but that's when i really started um playing a little bit more that was like at the tail end of ets and ecl mm -hmm. some of those more community run leagues before tne and i played them one or two of those last events okay oh that's yeah that, that is quite a while ago and so after that so what caused you to sell your soul and join the team display yeah so in that ecq where i top forward after that parmalee reached out and said that he and Gatasujo were starting a team and asked if I wanted to join and help start it. So I did, and I've been with them. It's been a blast. It's a fun team, fun group of guys playing. Yeah, no, they, they seem nice enough, I guess. So do you have a favorite game mode? I do know, you know, like I know you through drafting because that's kind of what <clears throat> we focus on, and you pop into the Discord every once in a while and post some deck lists, especially at the start of a format. So did do you do you consider yourself a drafter or do you play more constructed so when i first started playing i really only played the constructed formats and i would probably still say my favorite game mode is expedition i like these lower power formats i like the fact they change pretty regularly i know some people don't really like expedition because it usually requires cards that haven't been thrown playable or it relies really heavily on the new cards but this year when revelations came out we wrote an article with some budget options with then people didn't know what to build starting out we wanted to put things together and put those recommendations out there for new players with some recommendations how they could uh, upgrade them as their collection expanded and we even put that to the test where a group of us tried to race the masters with only decks that cost under fifteen thousand shift stone how did that go there was two winners there was whoever did it the fastest which i just kind of grinded up there in a few days with a budget soldiers and a budget stone scar aggro but then the other prize was for whoever could do it in the fewest amount of games. And Watchwolf92, my teammate, won that. And I think he did it in like 80 or 90 games from Gold 3 to Masters. That's cool. So do you, uh, do you are you involved with a lot of sort of the misplays, uh, other uh, activities like writing articles and... And the um, because and you guys also do the tier the not the quote unquote not tier list. Yeah, so I do a lot more behind the scenes type work. I think the budget articles was the first one that I wrote myself, but I do help with the meta reports. Um, I help a lot with that data collection and compiling them. You know, SR SRFS does a lot of work there, and Parmalee Gatsujo. It's kind of a team effort that report um let's see but yeah we 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 always try to have that options out there if people want to write an article or if they want to contribute we leave that open um it's nice having just kind of that team with that opportunity for to generate some content when you have ideas yeah no that's that's great so 
Um, I I see here though that you've been enjoying uh, limited a little bit more in Eternal. Um, how's that going? Yeah, so I think lately the metas in Throne and Expedition, um, especially the last couple of weeks, I haven't really been enjoying them as much. Um, so whether it was prepping for the open or just in general, I've been having a little bit more fun with limited because I think as I've been prepping for, so when I first started playing Eternal, I knew nothing about draft or sealed because I had no experience with magic. And I think that's where a lot of the community has that experience. But then when Eternal started having these draft and these limited events, then I really dove into the content that was out there, really trying to learn the basics, like the Let's Talk Limited, all of, all of Shab's articles were just super informative. Uh, your podcast and um, Eternal Journey, I think were great help as well. So I'm just kind of building those skills as I wanted to compete in the organized play. And now that I have those skill set, I it's a lot more fun, I think, to play in those draft and sealed because again that kind of goes back to the lower power a little bit more change regularly i find that enjoyable yeah i agree i one of my favorite things to do is to shove good draft cards into <laughs> throwing in expedition decks and and try to make them work i i am also a huge fan of lower powered sort of i guess synergistic cards because you can't really like the commons and uncommons on their own on just on rate usually aren't good enough. So you have to synergize with them, but then to try to make them work in constructed decks is a, is a thing I, I love to do. Um, all right. So let's talk a little bit about uh, your draft open. So how did it go for you? Well, it went pretty well, got top four <laughs> day one. I think I went 22 and six. Um, mm -hmm. So I had a five, two stone star aggro deck. I had a, 4-3 Guru deck with Splash 4, Behold the Truth. Um, I had a 6-1 Stone Scar, Splashing a little bit of Justice. Um, that deck, like when I look at it, it doesn't look like anything too special. Um, but it really, really got there. And then I closed out with a 7-0 Praxis. I think I got a Worm Calling, Pack 2, Pick 1. Um, a few pop, uh, populist controllers, Skyguard Sentinels, and then a bunch of uh, tricks slash mm -hmm. Fury Commando. I wasn't really excited about Praxis going into the event, but this deck just beat down. Yeah, I, I think that's kind of the way it is with Praxis. I, I think the it's hard to get excited about Proxis because the cards don't really synergize with each other. But Fire and Time, especially at higher rarities, have such good cards that, like, if <laughs> both lanes are open, you can, like, make a really powerful deck. But, but if you're just like, let's try to make a deck out of commons, you're like, oh, this is... <laughs> yeah. doesn't seem great. Um because that, that's kind of how my Praxis deck worked work from this past week, where I was like, well, this is really relying on, <laughs> on my really good cards to 
to to get me there. Yeah. So then on day two, I opened with another stone scar with some justice splashes that I didn't feel too confident about. But I mean, I had Glenn Zapper, I had Deathwing. I don't know if there's any other big bombs, but I was basically splashing for Deathwing, Finest Hour, and Topple. Um, yeah. Yeah, I do notice you're splashing without really any fixing here. Yeah, and day one, I had a ton of fixing for uh, the same kind of three-card splash. Like, I had Bannerman, I had uh, two seats and a banner. Um, but this day one deck, I just... It didn't really come together. It felt a little um, all over the place, and I really wanted to... Even though it's... I really wanted to be able to play with Deathwing and Topple, and I figured Finest Hour was worth it. So, and because I already had one Justice Rune that I was probably going to play, adding a few more sigils didn't seem like too big of a cost. And it worked out. Mm -hmm. I went 6-1 in those first three rounds of day two. Yeah, great record. Um, and then top four was a very different story. Um, or top eight was a very different story. This draft was basically Stone Star, Stone Star from pack one, and those lanes were completely open. I think this draft was much more challenging when it came time to actually building the deck and prioritizing the different, like, because towards the end of the packs, it was all fire and shadow. So it was just a question of, okay, which one do I need for my deck now? Um, so I won top eight, and then I lost to Frafa in top four. This deck was pretty nutty with Azrog, uh, Horn Eater Bat. Uh, yeah, it had a nice curve all the way up. But, yeah, no, this looks like a, a really great deck, I think. Um, yeah, <laughs> especially knowing what Frafa's deck was. I feel, I feel like maybe you got a little unlucky. <laughs> Maybe. I think I was also very nervous at play, playing on that once I hit top eight because there is that um, that two top fours and you get an invite to Worlds. I think that's something that I'm always, like day two, it's trying to get out of my own head. Right. Um, but I, I loved Rafa's deck. I think it was a work of art. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I, I don't even know if Profa loved Profa's deck in, <laughs> in the top eight. Um, but uh, hey, so does top four mean that you did you did you make money on this event? Yeah, I think top eight is where they start paying out. So top four, what was it this year? I think it was like six hundred and fifty dollars. Oh, that's top cool. Four. Yeah, that's. That's nice. Yeah. All right. So what, I guess now let's talk a little bit about this, uh, this tournament preparation. Um, so, you, you know, based on listening to the misplay podcast and watch Wolf was spoke very highly of, of everything you do behind the scene scenes to help the team prepare for these tournaments and how it's sort of your process has evolved. Um, sort of from tournament to tournament, I just thought 
you know, kind of wanted to give you the floor to, to say, like, what, where do you start? When, before the draft open, do you start? What are some of the things that you do that you're looking for? And just kind of, you know, talk about your process. Yeah, so Watchwolf was right that our prep really has kind of evolved over the course of these different uh, draft opens. So I'm always drafting. Generally, when the format starts, I'll be drafting probably once or twice a week as resources and time allow. Um, and I'm always trying to keep up on, I guess, the eternal limited scene. Like I said, there's uh, farming eternal, eternal journey, um, all that stock limited uh, articles. I think it's a few weeks out when we really start buckling down. So usually we wait until after the it's usually the expedition open that's right before the draft open but once that uh prep for the expedition open is done then we start really working together as a team we'll do team drafts where we'll just hop on discord and we can talk through the different picks and the gameplay uh, what we started doing with this event is we were doing what uh Gatsujo and Parmley call pretendo drafts. And I think you guys call them divergent duplicate drafts. So one person just tries to take screenshots of all their packs, which can be challenging to remember. And then you share <laughs> yes. that with the team. <laughs> and then, yeah. So then you can share those with the team. Um, it's really interesting to kind of discuss what, where we diverge, why we picked x card over why i know i shared that in the backlash discord i shared mine from the open and we've been having discussions with them and like ghp and i have ended up on pretty vastly different decks um well the first yeah it's actually i think i think illuminating and in incredibly helpful to do that even if you're just like doing it with a group of friends for any listeners like I mean, feel free in our Discord. Anyone's, uh, anyone can like post one of these. We have a channel for it, um, and I try to do it every once in a while. But it's open to the public. But I did one for my one of my drafts at the open, and it was my second draft that I went two five with, and I was just like, maybe I drafted this wrong. But then I like looked back at the draft and I was like, I don't see how you don't end up a lesion <laughs> with this deck. And then about five people did it and no one else ended up a lesion. And I was like, <laughs> and I like, I don't even, I think I got lucky being a lesion because I do think looking at my deck compared to other people, I still liked my deck. But it was like it's just really fascinating to see like um you know like i think my the issues i had wasn't the deck necessarily um <laughs> when i went when i went two five with the deck but but it's just really fascinating to see and then you can like you said discuss these points of divergence and um uh, the other question i i had again sorry to interrupt was i i know you said after the expedition open was there any consideration like oh they're probably going to change the draft packs did that like affect your timing were you 
you know, did you start before the change and then have to sort of change things afterwards? Yeah, so we had been doing, I don't think we were doing many voice call drafts just because a lot of our voice call time was dedicated to the expedition open. But I know I started posting some pretendo drafts before the expedition opened because I wasn't able to play in that. So I figured I could help kind of run through these drafts and share them with the team. I don't think we need to, because a lot of our prep really, we focus in on the last week or two. And by then we already know what the draft back changes are going to be. So, but I think it's just good to kind of go through the motion early on, get yourself familiar with some of the play patterns. Like especially we know what, the, so the Revelations cards, the pack one and pack four, those aren't likely to change with, um, or like those aren't likely to change significantly with any balance patch. So, so just kind of going through knowing what some of the big cards are. Um, Okay, so next, uh, what is this uh, the the infamous uh, misplayed team meeting and the and the pre meeting survey? Yeah, so I think this is where we kind of do things a little bit differently than other teams. Is we always have a meeting. Just I think we had it on maybe Thursday, so right before the draft open. And this is where we really kind of, we've had some informal discussions on our team meetings. Um, at this meeting, it usually starts, we'll, I'll send a survey out asking people to rank their top 10 commons and their top 10 uncommons from a pack one, pick one perspective. So then we compile this and we use this ranking kind of as a starting point. We usually get maybe half the team to fill out the survey. Maybe people didn't necessarily feel comfortable with drafting or they haven't had a chance to do many. Um, so there's some different opinions. I know like me and I'm so bad. We've, we in Sobiello, we draft pretty regularly. So we have a little bit more of an informed opinion, but we have some people that I just want kind of those different opinions because I think that's where we can have some interesting conversations. So even if you haven't had a chance to play, I ask the team members if they have time to fill it out. So this list kind of this is the first thing that we go through at the meeting. We can use it. We can look at all right, what are the obvious best commons? So like for example, everyone had open weight supplier, Ursa Squadron, Topple, and I think Blitz down was in everyone's top 10, and I think they were all in everyone's top three. So those four cards were kind of like our premium commons. And then there was another set of commons um, that we all liked. Because we had differencing opinions and some people hadn't been drafting weekly, Soulbreaker was pretty high on some people's list. So we got to talk about why they were ringing them so high. Um, and it kind of gone back to they hadn't played necessarily in a while, or they really liked aggressive strategies. They really liked being in Stone Scar. Another way that these this kind of survey is useful is setting the bars. We can look for is like okay, if we see a late 
open weight supplier, then we know time is open or just what we keep an eye on later in the pack to know that something might be open what or not. We also talk about like where our top commons might rank compared to the top uncommons. Like at what level would we start taking uh, Ursa Squadron when there's, uh, is there a Sky Sweeper or Ursa Squadron? Where do we go from there? Yeah, I find we, we do, uh, you know, usually two or three episodes sort of on that topic. And I find that a very helpful way to sort of rank cards because sometimes like a top 10, you know, because when you do like a top 10 of commons and a top 10 of uncommons, you like, you're like, well, where do these sort of, <laughs> how does this interrelate? And that's, a, I think, a great way to do it. So talking through that survey is kind of how we set the stage and get things moving. We also take this time to talk through all the different factions. And in this case, we thought that all 10 two-faction pairs were pretty viable if they were open. There wasn't anything we were shying away from, unlike last draft open, where some of us felt comfortable just forcing some combination of F, Fire, Justice, and Shadow. Mm -hmm. Get in your bashers or auto treads. Deathwing, Metal Fang. But in this format, we felt pretty comfortable that everything was open or everything was viable. Um, so then we talked a little bit more about what each archetype would want to look like. Like what sort of support, what sort of commons or uncommons, what sort of synergies we're going after. Are we have, like Feln, you'll either be flyers or you'll be stealth, a little bit more tempo orientated. And I'm so bad, helped a lot pulling this together. Um, just kind of putting together uh, different lists or like a spreadsheet so we can look at that and have some discussion. Um, we also looked at wit, what draft pack cards were 20x boosted and talked that through from that perspective. If you're in one color, what could might you expect? Like, uh, I think it's time and primal had great support through the draft pack, whereas Justice and Shadow, they were both pretty lacking in their boosted cards. So like Justice had amazing cards in pack one. So if you can get into that area while it was open, but then you would need to look for what was your second faction once you got to the draft packs. And like another thing is pretty easy, whether you do this, write it out like Watchwolf does or I put together Eternal Warcry links for, I made one for all of the stealth units. So you can look at someone's factions and the cost and try to figure out which one it is likely to be if you haven't had time to play in the format a bunch. And then another for any, all the fast spells or ambush units, anything that might be able to come in and affect combat. If you're seeing pauses and you know they're in certain factions, you can have it filtered in. Because mm -hmm. Day one, you don't get to see their deck list. You just kind of have to know the format, which yeah. is, is hard. Yeah. How far do you go down? Like, do you, for the draft packs, do you include all the 20X, I assume? Do you include all the 10X? All the 5X? I just did, I just did 20X. So it was neat this format. Well, it was interesting this format where there are they are only 5x, 10x, or 20x. There's no 1x. So really yeah. it's 1x, 2x, or 4x. So I really only focused on the 20x boosted cards. 
the commons mm-hmm. and uncommons. And it obviously was sufficient. <laughs> yeah, it's a decent, it's a bit of work up front, but it pays off. So I hit t- top four and I know we had a number of people, day two, um, I think the number that someone was throwing out is all team misplay members who finished their four runs had at least 17 wins. Yeah. So, yeah, that's a, I think that's a, a really great showing um, and does show that a lot of this hard work uh, paid off. So the survey, so the survey mainly just consists of, of sort of ranking these top 10 cards. Was it, were there any other questions that you asked or? So the first time I did it, I asked a lot more kind of specific questions, but I realized that we were just kind of talking through them at our team meeting. Um, So really, in this iteration, it's just, are you planning on playing? Rank your top commons and uncommons, and then I add room for if you had any extra thoughts. So if people felt strongly about certain factions um, or what they've been having success with, there was an opportunity for them to write that in so they didn't have to remember it right before the team meeting. After this team meeting, uh, what were some of the, the sort of the, the points that stood out at your team meeting that you, that you guys kind of like talked through or that you felt like as a team agreed upon or settled on? So let's see, let me open it and I keep notes. So from when looking at the list of commons, we felt there was a pretty clear top four. So I already mentioned squadron, supplier, topple, blitzstone. Um, and I think we decided that we would, and then in the uncommons, again, we saw kind of a pretty clear top three, Behold the Truth, Jailer, and Hypnotic Valk. And I think it was after Hypnotic Valk, but before like Skysweeper or Might, Glensap, or some of those other two faction uncommons, that's where we would start taking some of our top four commons. So one thing, I think this was something that I'm so bad really championed is that we were undervaluing runes. So I think he was he was able to convince us to take even off-color runes earlier on. They they're free spells that can go in essentially every deck. They can help enable splashing. So this is something where we talked about kind of the ranking which runes we would feel comfortable splashing. I think we all felt that the shadow and the primal runes were particularly powerful. Um, I think because of the depleted nature, I think we settled on most people would feel comfortable playing two off-color runes in a deck, um, but we probably won't play more than three or four runes total. What else? We felt like every faction was playable. Um, we did think that like t- time and justice were two of the stronger factions, um, and that shadow was generally the weakest. I kind of got on a soapbox and said that I thought the primal hate had gone too far. Um, the primal hate? The primal hate. Because um, I think there were still people who hadn't done much drafting since the beginning of the format. So they people were generally underrating primal, even though like Freight Asri was buffed, all those other... Asri's were buffed. The draft pack was looked great. 
So I just really tried to drive that home. Yeah. Yeah, and I think one of the great things with Liz, lightning strike is boosted and kills everything. <laughs> yeah, less. lightning strike, permafrost. There's a lot of boosted cards. Mm-hmm. And so what was... I, I know you said every... Um, you thought every faction pair was viable. Um, did you have a sort of color ranking going into your head, or did you think that they were kind of close enough that it wasn't really worth worrying about? I didn't really have a faction ranking in my head, like um, the last open. I was just kind of seeing what was what good cards were available, and then kind of mm-hmm. trying to identify that open lane. But I personally wasn't forcing anything. Yeah. Because that's what it really felt like that some players or teams got to the point of that they liked the TJP faction so much that they were really willing to take a hit in power level on certain picks in order to stay in those factions. And I, I found that like a, a really interesting uh, you know place to get to because it differed. I th- I do think, and like our sp- spreadsheet has like uh, Cambrai as our number one submitted list by a huge margin, but I I I think they are pretty close. But then like you know TBC was like Elysian is the best color. You want to be an Elysian, so it, it's it's pretty interesting. The uh sort of the different conclusions that people came to on that. Yeah, I don't think all of TBC was gung-ho on Elysian, because I know listening to the backlash when they had batteries on, he was just as happy to be in fire as I was. I do think that Combray was the best faction. It's just everybody thought Combray was the best faction, so it was, wasn't always open. Um, and... Whether or Kombe or Elysian, Elysian was probably a little bit easier to get into just because Justice dried up so fast in those middle packs. So I guess I was kind of looking at it kind of two points. There was this time mid range that was very strong with Supplier and Populous Controller and Behold the Truth. Um, but I really liked I liked Fire a little bit. So yeah, there's the time mid range and there's the Fire Aggro. And I thought those were both strong strategies. It's just a matter of what came to you. And one reason that I kind of preferred leaning more into fire, well, besides I lean aggro and constructed, is that when your drafts don't come together, I think it's a little bit easier to salvage an aggressive fire deck than it is to salvage. Like if you don't get, if you get a bunch of ramp, but you don't get, any payoffs so if you get five open weight suppliers but no populist controllers or behold the truth or the inverse then those decks don't really come together where if you're pe- play- if you get if you get a bunch of kind of mediocre one two three drops but you're able to curve out and you have tricks in removal i mean those decks came together very easy for me like i said i didn't feel particularly confident with the two scone scar decks that I drafted, but they in the open, but they both went six and one. So yeah, um, so 
you, you know, you mentioned tricks, and that was an, another point, I think, of contention was like cards like Iona's Fury, I think, also ended up being like a, a contentious card. Was, was that true in your team meetings, like within the team misplay? Did some people have it higher or lower? Or, yeah, some people had it lower. I think of the. I think Fury was probably the third fire common um, after Blitzstone and Cannon. Um, but I do think we, I think we actually came up on Cannon during the team meeting just because it's, like, again, when you're looking at fire commons, you have Blitzstone and you have uh, Detonation Cannon, which answer the two other premium commons. They're both clean answers to Squadron and Supplier. So the fact that you've got the, like redundancy to answer the other premium commons made fire attractive, but we liked tricks. I think there's a number of us that are pretty aggressive players in nature. This wasn't a format that people you should block in, but if you do block, then you get to kill a unit and then stick a two, two weapon on it. Um, I, I just like combat tricks. I think combat tricks make, the game fun um yeah do, do you think there's anything to the fact that like especially once you make it into day two i mean even ignoring uh even ignoring the open deck list like uh, tricks can get worse the better your opponent is because they can play around it better and like one of the things with iona's fury is if your opponent doesn't play around it you can just get huge blowouts on a double block and stuff like that but like when you're in the draft open and you know your opponents are better and then also in day two when there's open deck lists like does that affect your evaluation of a card like that it wasn't really something that we discussed i mean there are a lot of easy answers for all the combat tricks and it could be like flash freeze or uh shackles i mean those are that both of those just kind of negate any benefit that fury might have so it's just kind of you just have to know what tricks are what tricks and what they can do in response are out there um yeah they have to draw it they have to have the power up and sometimes making them play it out earlier rather than later isn't the end of the world that's kind of the strength if you have a lot of combat tricks they probably only have a limited number of answers to those combat tricks so they may be able to work around your single Ionos Fury, but if you have two Fury, a Hoof Slash, a Slice Slash, and a Rampage, then or Shackles of your own, then they can't stop all of them. Yeah, no, I I think that's definitely true. Um, so uh, two other questions is one uh, another thing uh, they mentioned on the Backlash podcast is like how strong they felt like the uncommons were. Did that resonate with you? I thought the uncommons this set were less impressive than last set. Um, I thought Behold the Truth, Hypnotic Valk, and Jailer were all pretty busted in cards I'd want to, well, maybe not Valk, but cards I'd want to splash, but it's not like they were Auto Tread or Deathwing or Metal Fang level uncommons. I thought the uncommons were deep. Like mm -hmm. there was a lot of uncommons that were 
like playable, but I don't think the sheer power level of the uncommons was the same as what we saw like even last set. Yeah. And I think it's also ended up being watered down by having, um, you know, the 10 card cycle of, uh, blueprints. what are those called? Blueprints. Yeah. Yeah. The 10 card blueprint cycle, uh, you know, sort of watered down the number of commons. Um, yeah, I, I in the my O3 sort of disaster draft, that was kind of what happened. Not that the blueprints are bad and you shouldn't pick them, but like it felt like all all of my uncommons were all blueprints for the first whole pack, you know, the yeah. first twelve picks, and I was like, oh, well, I get I have no uncommon signs coming towards me because it's yeah. just like blueprint after blueprint. I think one thing that's hard about the uncommons along with all the blueprints is that a number of the really strong uncommons were two faction and i didn't necessarily like going two faction that early on because like mm -hmm. collapse to debt tandem training or trito are super strong in their decks but i don't want to force that faction that early on yeah i don't and oh, uh, so you can continue like again i'm not sure that any of those two faction cards are in the same power level as Deathwing or Metal Fang that I would splash for in the previous set format. Yeah, exactly. That was like that was the thing with Metal Fang. It was it was like the perfect card for that because it was kind of you know it was six costs. So that's like you kind of want your splash cards to be a little expensive, so you have time to get the influence you need. It helps stabilize you. It Metal Fang just does everything. It's like such an incredible draft card. Um, all right, and then uh, so with your with your tier list. So well, I guess one question I just had. This is I asked Rafa this too. So did you guys end up with Ursa Squadron or Open Way Supplier as the top tier list? Like which which of those two would you take a pack one pick one? I don't think we. We didn't, uh, we didn't tell people which one was the best. It was a little bit more up to personal opinion because I know there were some people that preferred being in that more aggressive list mm -hmm. and some people preferred ramp. I had personally had Ursa Squadron on top. I just felt it was, it could snowball. It was harder to answer where open way supplier i may have had higher upside but it also had higher downside like if you put killer on another open way supplier then it's a little bit feels bad but i think most people had squadron as their number one comment i think there's still one or two people that would prefer supplier yeah yeah it was pretty interesting talking to frafa because he he said he moved to Openway Supplier, Populous Controller, and Topple over Ursa Squadron. And it, it, it kind of blew me away. And I think just showed just how high people are on time right now. Yeah. Because I still can't get over the fact that, like, a turn to Ursa Squadron on the play is just, like, is still one of the most formidable starts of the format. And it's where I if if, if it's where I want to be. So I just like I still have trouble not taking it first. <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah, definitely. I mean, um, Blitzstone and Donation Cannon are twin answers to that turn, too. Yeah, no, there's definitely so, answers to it, but you, you like, need to have an answer, or the, it yeah. can just get, they can just get so out of hand. Um, yeah, so you, so you kind of made this tier list. Did, did you use this, um, like, during your drafting process? I, I know maybe less so for you, because you do, you had drafted previously, so you have a lot of this in your head from just, like, previous knowledge, but is that sort of the the point of the tier list is to maybe help some of your teammates like have a concrete like kind of thing going into the into the open i think there were some people on the team that referred to it i didn't really reference the list itself because i think the list changed as we had our team meeting and we discussed some things like i think we generally moved some of the two faction cards that showed up high in the survey we move those down compared to others. I think one thing that I thought was a little bit more helpful that we discussed at our meeting is the lists that um, you guys put out, like the most common commons and uncommons. I think that's helpful to kind of use to rank cards within specific factions, like which ones are showing up most in the seven win deck lists. But I think that's kind of hard to use them to just generally rank um, like top 10 commons or uncommons in general, just because there's a little bit of bias for what decks are being submitted. So there's all the time in just this commons we're very high in the list because they're so, so many of the seven win deck lists are Combray. I didn't use the tier list. I don't think I like the idea of using a fixed tier list just because it changes so quickly. This was really geared towards pack one, pick one. But once you're right. four or five picks in, then you have an idea of where you might be. If you see a lane that's open, you may want to grab that. If you see a two-faction card that would go great in what's already your main faction, you probably want to grab that. Um, so this tier list is... I mean, it's really best for those first couple picks. And then after that, it's more of a guide to show what people are thinking about the format, less so what you should be thinking about the format. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I guess that one of the other big questions going into the open, um, and I, I kind of want to, was about bot packs because once again they kind of changed the format pretty close to when the open was and this is like another thing that was kind of interesting because like listening to the podcasts it, it felt like the the guys on the backlash felt like there were bot packs which didn't really resonate with me and i was just wondering you did a lot more drafts than I did making it to top four. So how, what was your feeling about that? So I didn't feel like there were bot packs. Um, I didn't see like a pack one, pick five speaking circle like I saw in the last open. There were some later um, suppliers or topples or freight asries, but I think I would chalk that more up to inexperienced drafters 
um, people that mm-hmm. are just kind of getting in when the bot packs were seated like a week before the event, trying to learn the packs, not really knowing which the premium commons and uncommons were, um, and just kind of learning. But it didn't feel like I, I looked through my drafts because I took images of all the um, picks. And I didn't see any like late rares or late legendaries. And I didn't necessarily feel like my opponents had a lot of rares or legendaries. Like playing in the last draft open, you had to expect that that your opponent was going to have several bombs just Mm because everyone did. But I didn't feel like that was the case this event. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of interesting because, you know, like one of the things Notorious GHP talked about uh, on their episode was like maybe changing the evaluation of your factions. Like, oh, maybe like everyone sort of agreed that shadow was the worst, but maybe because it has more hard removal, if your opponent's decks are going to have strong cards, maybe shadow goes up so you can deal with that. But it felt a little bit to me like sort of leveling yourself, (laughs) you know, based on a a lot of unknowns. but the other point is, how do you explain just how many Azrogs were in the top 64? In the top 64, there's a bunch in top eight as well. Um, yeah, well, that's I what I, I just seen the whole, the whole day too. There were just Azrogs everywhere. Fire was generally open. It was a good non-time, a non-Combre strategy, and... Picking an Azrog, you're playing an Azrog. Yeah, no, it's it's true, man. What a frustrating card. <laughs> now that we sort of talked about your prep going into the tournament, like sort of as a retrospective, did did you guys feel like you nailed it? Do you think your conclusions were more or less correct? Was there anything that you know, having played in the tournament, watched the tournament that you you wish you had done differently or thought differently about? I don't think so. I think our prep was was good. We got a lot of people through to day two, um, even though we had some different stances than apparently the other big names. Um, I do think, so one thing this is, I, this is something that, Wash Wolf has said, and he's a very experienced Magic player. Um, his style is a little bit differently than the rest of us, but he always talks about. I know early on when he joined the team, we did some work trying to talk through sealed and getting better at limited. And he always talked about the difference between playing. You can play bad cards in your bad card deck versus in a good card deck you want to only have good cards and i think that's what a lot of the time decks you were relying on more good cards and i don't think people were really appreciating how easily it was easy it was to put together quote unquote a bad card deck in fire there's just a lot of options there and they all kind of synergize and they helped you get build a deck that could win even when things didn't work um so I think that's something that we do well as we are more open. We've got a lot of different opinions. We don't, we do a lot of, it's a lot more discussion and kind of learning stance that we take. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Yeah, I I agree. I I really like sort of how you guys how you've summarized it here, how how you guys talked about it on the on the misplay podcast cuz I mean, part of it is it, it kind of aligned pretty closely with my opinions of the format, which uh obviously makes it easier to uh, to appreciate the insights. Uh, uh but it was it's uh, this open has just been really fascinating especially with now the plethora of podcasts and people sort of talking about their different preps and stuff preparations and stuff it was it was really interesting to see where where everyone a- ended up i do uh this is a little off topic and <laughs> i i do wish that we the the community could figure out how to be more open with this stuff in the future, especially with the draft opens where your opponents really aren't, you know, other teams or other players really aren't affecting you as much because you're not drafting in pods. We're not drafting in pods or anything. And there's no like secret deck tech kind of stuff. And so I, I do hope, and I, I'm hopefully the next open is also closer to winter, so I'll have a little bit more free time, hopefully, uh, to try to coordinate something. But it would be nice to like get a lot more of this information out there for for players that are not on a team to see, kind of more like a friends of eternal, but for but for uh, for drafters. Um, yeah, you know, that, that, that's my hope. So maybe I'll talk to you more in a couple months about that. <laughs> yeah, I think that's definitely there's a lot of things that are just kind of open information out there. And it's just really giving that to a broader community. Yeah, like just having just having the list of all the fast spells or having a list of all the stealth units. That's not secret, but it was. I still had those open when I was going through my run and I felt they were very helpful tools. Yeah, exactly. And so it just seems like not having to have everyone sort of reinvent the wheel would be good. And it was kind of heartening to hear like, you know, you guys talking with uh, team ranks, you know, like there was a lot of cross pollination and it'd be nice if, I think it'd be nice if, that was e- even more in the open. So that that's kind of a, a hope I have. Yeah, I, all that discussion that I had with GHP was after the event. So right. that's when we really noticed that there, that there was like several teams came to vastly different conclusions. And I think that's pretty interesting. I think it would kind of be boring if everybody sat down, agreed on the set order that you should pick guards and pack one and pick two like if there is a set ranking i think that would lead to just a less interesting game a less interesting format and i'm glad that we are we play a game where there can be so many different opinions and thoughts that still all seem to work yeah no i i uh i 100 percent agree i i get confronted <laughs> with this every time i go into the main discord draft channel and i'm just like <laughs> I sometimes when you watch people draft, you're like, we are drafting different formats. It's like it's it's pretty it's pretty amazing. I think it's you know I joke about it, but I think it it's great because I do think that's one of the best parts about draft is like so so many things can can work, 
and it's yeah. really finding what works for you and and sort of <laughs> leaning into that a little bit yeah all right so then uh finally uh this is a little bit of armchair quarterbacking on direwolf digital's uh part but you know one of the things i also feel like is every open before and after you get all of these tournament grinders and constructed players talking about how awesome draft was and how much fun they had preparing and so far all of the draft opens like the day twos have just been like great watches it's been like a lot of fun and then the tournament ends and then <laughs> everyone stops playing draft and the cues go back to their normal thing and i guess i was just wondering if you had what your if you had any ideas of what direwolf could do what the community could do to like you know let that high ride a little bit longer than the two weeks before the draft open yeah i don't know if there's an easy answer like changing the economy is not an easy answer but that would probably get more people drafting i know i think one easy way is just to keep having these draft opens uh, i think it's so much better this year where we have three instead of just the one draft yeah. championship that we had last year I think one thing that I'm not sure if it would help the draft queue or hurt the draft queue would be allowing 45 card friendly challenges. So then this would, like if you had an awesome draft deck and you wanted to play it against friends, that would allow it. If Tuesday Night Eternal wanted to start adding some draft events that the competitive players still needed to prep for, being able to do these 45 card challenges allows um for that uh, but i don't know i think that that's that would probably be my big answer allow the 45 card friendly challenges but it might get more people drafting to prep for community run events but it might also get less people in the draft queues because they don't have to pay they can just do a simulated draft and play with friends yeah yeah it, it's a complicated complicated question i just uh, i i feel this every every three months now where there's just like so much excitement and people are having so much fun and it feels like it's a really untapped there's there's an untapped player base that would really love draft it was if it was more open or available to them yeah that might just be economy i know i feel like it feels like a lot of the bigger eternal streamers are primarily draft streamers i think it's a the opens are fun whether you're playing in them or watching in them they're i just don't i think people just got to uh get the draft bug whatever that takes yeah all right well again thank you so much for coming on d-dubs i really appreciate it um breaking down your process this was a a, a great conversation yeah it's fun Cool. Well, I think we'll end our show there. So thank you again to all our patrons for making, or I guess, is there anything else you want to add? I don't think so. Okay. I think we covered it. Okay. All right. So thank you again to all our patrons for making the show a success. And for those of you who are not patrons, a reminder to give us a five-star rating and review on iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play. You can join us in our Discord. There will be a link in the show notes. Finally, thumbs up all of Raven Dragon's Reddit posts about the show. 
And don't forget to send in all your seven win deck lists you do this week. And remember to keep on farming. Have a good night. Okay, cool. Probably could have plugged the misplay Discord, but. Oh. I don't get you wanna, that. You wanna? <laughs> no, it's fine. I don't know what I would say. Yeah. Farming got to do that.